Welcome to Pathfinders, a topical series for men. The world around us is a mess, and it's changing rapidly and not for the better. Men are struggling to find their way. They find themselves in a forest of issues and challenges that has grown up around them, and there does not appear to be a clear pathway out. And because men are the way they are, they might not even realize that they are lost in that forest of issues and challenges. And even if they do realize it, they may not ask for help. Any forest, no matter how dense or unknown it is, can be navigated if there is someone who knows the way, knows where the pathways are, knows where the danger is, knows which paths to take and which ones to stay away from. My objective for this series is threefold. First, to help men understand their circumstances, their situation. A man cannot know where to go if he does not first know where he is. This will also include helping them to see their need for a pathfinder in their life. Second, we all need pathfinders for some part of our lives. So what should we be looking for in a pathfinder? What are the traits and characteristics of this person, of this man, who will help us to find the right path? Third, all men should aspire to be pathfinders. This series should give those men who sense the calling to lead others the tools they need to be pathfinders. Ultimately, this series is about discipleship. This world is a mess, and there are lots of reasons why the world is the way that it is, and it won't be fixed until Jesus comes back. Until then, God is calling his men to stand up and lead people, as many as will follow, away from the darkness that is so pervasive in this world. The world has a leadership problem, and God has given the church the power through the Holy Spirit to do something about it. It is far past time for God's men to stand up and start leading. Welcome to Pathfinders. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.11, are we okay? All right. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And, and I am blessed to have many men around me who are living their faith in a way that gives me a godly example to follow. And as pathfinders, our calling is not only to, to allow God to use those people he puts around us to help us to grow in our faith and become more like Christ, but he also calls us to lead others where God wants them to be. And at the same time, that as he calls us to lead others, he also wants us uh, to get to where he wants us to be. And so there's this, this, this dual work going on. And to do that, we as men, not only do we want to be a pathfinder, but we need to be willing to follow other pathfinders as well. Now, I'm speaking... To this group, I know that I am preaching to the choir, but it's still a good reminder that we understand these things. It would be best if we could simply fix our eyes on Jesus and go. That would be best. If we could just put our eyes on Jesus and walk the path without any help, without anybody around us, we could just go. Experience has proven to me 
over and over and over again that men who try to walk the path alone rarely stay on it. They just get distracted. They get drawn away. They get something changes something, and before long, they're off the path that God desires for them. It's not just men. Be women, too. Men or women. I'm going to talk to the guys here today. The reality is we need each other. God created us to need each other. It's not a weakness. It's not a failing. It is how God made us. And without others around us, without us gathering together in groups like this or watching online, get in a group, you know, it's important that we're connected to other men. Ladies need to be connected to other ladies, and we all need to be connected to each other in whatever way that God has allowed us to. That's how God made us, and we need to be okay with that. And part of us growing in our faith is accepting that reality that God made us to be together and, and to help one another and be a part of each other's lives. But he, the Bible also teaches very clearly that he, that he created men to lead. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 13. And we're going to look at Jesus and an aspect of leadership that he called his disciples to imitate. And as pathfinders, this should be an aspect of our leadership as well. If Jesus called the disciples to do it, and we're, we're, you know, we're raising our hand and saying, yes, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to be a pathfinder. I want to follow the path that God created me for as a man, then this, this should be an aspect of our leadership too. So let's pause and we'll, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come thanking you for this opportunity to be here. And we ask, Lord God, for your touch upon this time, Lord, as you open up our hearts, as we as, we as, as men, especially these men who, who have, um, ha- have shown through their, uh, their words, their deeds, their, their lives, that they have made a commitment to follow the path that you've set out before them, Lord God, that, that we can all follow it better, whether it be um, the pastors or the elders or, or whatever role that we might play within the church or the body or life in general, we can always do it more like Christ. And that's our desire. So open up our hearts to receive from your word what you would say to your men, Lord. And, and we ask, Lord, for your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. And as I, as I share this, this is a men's breakfast, but I am going to publish this you know, to, you know, the website later. And so any of you ladies that watch us later on, God bless you. You're welcome to watch all the way to the end. There's a special gift at the end. No, there's not. No, there's not. Just, just God's word. <laughs> They'll come to church and maybe I'll give you a gift. Who knows? I, I, don't, I don't know. So anyways, uh, we're in John chapter 13. And John chapter 13 is the beginning of what is known as the upper room discourse. Chapters 13 through 17. And this is, this is given on the afternoon that Jesus is betrayed. And so within an hour or two after Jesus gives this discourse, he will be betrayed and ultimately arrested. And within 24 hours of him speaking these words, he is going to be on the cross and die. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. And, and the reality is Jesus knew that. He knew what was coming. 
And so he takes this time to spend this time with his disciples. And try to imagine, and I believe it's so important. God, God gave us an imagination, right? Do we recognize he gave us an imagination? Why? So that we could use it, maybe? Um, and, and so as we come to accounts like this, we need to try to put ourselves into the account. We need to ask ourselves questions. What, what would you do if you knew you had 24 hours left to live? What would you do? How would you spend that time? Well, Jesus spent his time, this part of that time, telling his disciples the most important things that they needed to know. So anything we see in this is, it's a big deal. Everything Jesus said was important, but he focuses in on this, on very certain things. But it's how he begins this, this thing that is particularly fascinating to me. So we'll pick it up. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from the Father and was going to, coming from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So Jesus washes the disciples' feet. If you've read the Bible more than once, you know this account. You've read it, heard it all kinds of times. Keep your finger in chapter 13 and just go back a couple of pages to chapter 10. Let's pause and remind ourselves who Jesus is. Who is this person who is performing this menial and degrading task, because that's what it was in that culture in that time. It was, it was an absolute lowest of tasks. Who is this who is kneeling at the feet of these men doing something that none of them was willing to do? In John chapter 10, some Jews come to Jesus and want to know who he is. John 10, verse 24 then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. He said, hey, hey, all these miracles and all these things that I've done, they, they're telling you very clearly who I am. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall not perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, there's some who question what Jesus meant by saying that he and the Father were one. The Jews knew exactly what he was saying. And so we continue on in verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. 
And because you, being a man, make yourself God. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You can turn back to John 13. Jesus did not make himself God. He was not a man who thought he was God. He was not trans-God. He was not, he was not, you know, being transformed into God. He was not transitioning from man to God. He was, is, and will always be God. God the Son, in all of his perfection, all of his holiness, all of his righteousness, all of his deity, is washing the disciples' dirty feet. That's doubtful that as Jesus is doing it, that the disciples recognize that that kneeling at their feet is God in the flesh. That they really understood the immensity of what was taking place. Peter did question Jesus in verse 6 of chapter 13. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Which ones? All of them. All 12, including Judas Iscariot, who he knew was about to betray him. Previously, early, early in the text, it says it was already in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that. And yet he washed his feet. Within a, within a few minutes after this event, after the, after the foot washing, Jesus dismisses Judas to go and do what is in his heart to do. Now, I wonder if Judas, on his way, to betray Jesus, looked down at his clean feet and felt anything in his heart. Jesus then explains what he's doing. Verse 12. So he said, so so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus said, I have given you an example. Now, is Jesus saying that we ought to regularly gather together and wash each other's feet? You know, take our stinky shoes off and wash each other's, each other's feet. I don't think so. Peter, or excuse me, Paul said something similar, something about Christ that speaks to this in, in Philippians 2. 
5 through 8, it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus took the form of a servant. He chose that form. He humbled himself. He placed himself in a low position and became obedient all the way to the cross. Jesus was, was modeling that for his disciples as he humbly knelt at their feet and took the role of a servant. As he knelt there with, with their dirty feet in his hands, he didn't stop being God. He didn't stop being their savior. He didn't stop being the Messiah. He didn't stop being perfect and holy and righteous. As he knelt there, he was not less than the disciples. Nor was he less than he was before he knelt. In fact, he was exactly what he said he was. In Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Even though Jesus was, as he knelt there, and he is today and will always be King of Kings and Lord of Lords, when he was there kneeling before them in human flesh, he had not come to rule. He had come to serve. And he says, this is the example I've given you. When Jesus says, I've given you an example, what do you think he wants us to do with the example? Follow it, right? His greatest expression of service is the one that we're most thankful for. That is when he went to the cross. It was an act of, act of humble obedience, of willing, humble servitude. When you serve someone, you are not lessened in any way. That's one of the things that we need to grapple with in our own hearts. Because the idea of serving others, especially in the mindset that many of us probably grew up with, is a, a serving is a lesser role. And we, we have to wrestle with the reality that, that, we, that we don't understand it the way that God would have us to understand it. You're not lessened. In fact, when we serve others, especially people that we don't have to serve, then we are more like Christ. And the humbler that the act is of service, the more like Christ you are. God, in the flesh, knelt at the feet of his disciples. Did he have to do that? No. Did he have to wash their feet? No. Could they have been perfectly okay with dirty feet? Yes, they could have. But he humbled himself and he washed their feet. The inverse of this is also true. The less, the lesser amount that someone is serving others in faith, in faith in Christ, the less like Christ they are. If, if serving others makes us like Christ, 
If we're not doing it, then we're not as much like Christ as we probably ought to be. Jesus' example here of humble service. Service to others in the, in, for the glory of God in faith is a trait that must be present in a man of God for him to be right with God. There must be this, this willingness and this, this desire and this activity of humble service. Without it, you, you can't actually claim to be what you say you are. If you want to be a man of God, a man of God, especially one that we refer to in, that we've been describing this pathfinder, there has to be a desire and a, and a, and a striving forward toward humble service, willing, humble service. But what does it mean? How do you do it? Here's how I think we need to begin. First, we need to use the imagination that God gave us. And we need to imagine Jesus kneeling at our feet. I have a, I have a thing, that's a, a, a little tchotchke that somebody gave me at one point. It's an image of Jesus kneeling at the feet of Peter. It's a very powerful image for me. We need to imagine that it is us sitting in that chair. Because when Jesus died on the cross... That's what he did. He served us in a way that is, that is well, life-altering, right? Would you say that was life-altering? He did something that was so immense, so incredible, and he didn't have to do it. He didn't, he didn't except the fact that he, if he didn't, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have be here. But we had to let that image burn into our soul of him doing that. And, and the image of him kneeling there is, is very powerful when we connect it with the cross. Imagine if you had been one of the disciples and Jesus did that for you and then the very next day he died for your sins. Wow. Second, Imagine yourself kneeling at the feet of one of the disciples and washing their feet. But not just any disciple. At the feet of Judas Iscariot. Imagine yourself kneeling at his feet, looking up into his eyes and seeing the betrayal in his heart. Knowing it. Would you wash his feet? Jesus did the greatest act of betrayal in human history. And Jesus washed his feet. A humble act. If Jesus could wash the feet of his betrayer, whose feet should we wash? Who should we be willing to wash? If President Biden came and sat over there, would you wash his feet? about someone who's betrayed you, hurt you, really, really hurt you. Would you wash their feet? Should you wash their feet? Listen, those are the extreme cases. 
And ultimately, God would want you to get to the place where you could. You may not be there right now, but for most of us, we don't have to deal with that today. It's in the everyday, mundane activities of life where God wants us to be on, on point with this. It's where we prove our heart to serve God by serving others. Little things. You come to a four-way stop. Do you let somebody else go before you? Little, dumb, insignificant, seemingly meaningless things can be an act of faith and obedience, can be an act of humble service to others. Are you kind to strangers? Are you respectful to spam callers when you make the mistake of picking up their call? Where it really matters is with those God has entrusted us to lead. Those are around us that he said, you know what? I want you to help them get to where I'm trying to get them. There's no question that Jesus was the leader of the disciples. When they were traveling around, he was the leader. But then he also served them. He practiced what we refer to as, and as, as, as Kevin referred to, servant leadership. A servant leader sees themselves and tries to live first as a servant and then as a leader. That, that they are a leader, they acknowledge and confess that they have been, they have been placed in this place of leadership, but above that and, over, and, and, and what supersedes that leadership is service. They, they are servant first, leader second. They can't, you can't separate the two, really, if you're doing it the way that Jesus did it. They're connected, but one has to supersede the other. Because if, you, if you're a leader servant, you may end up leading, may take a primary role, and may influence you toward decisions that are not the way that God would have us to do it. A servant leader sees leadership as an act of service. I serve by leading. Now, most of us were brought up believing that leading is all about power. It's all about influence. It's all about making things happen. And for those things to happen, the people around me has got to know who's boss. And the focus is on the leadership and not on service. It's a radical paradigm shift to be able to, to, to change the way that we think to the mentality of Christ's style of leadership, servant leadership. Here are a few things, and then we'll close. To help us change the way we think about this matter, about servant leadership. First, live to serve. Live to serve. What was God's purpose in creating you? Why are you here. Well, if we use Philippians, excuse me, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He create, God created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This idea, God created things for us to do. Every human was created. Every 
single human was created for the purpose of glorifying him, worshiping him, and serving him. That's why they exist. Now, we can only do that truly once we are in Christ Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith. Now, every morning, we ought, to, we ought to begin by imagining ourselves sitting in a chair and Jesus kneeling at our feet and washing our feet and then looking up into our eyes and saying, go. What I have done for you, you go do for others. We remind ourselves by doing that, that what Jesus did, not the foot washing, but the greatest act of service that has ever occurred in human history, and that is the death of his, uh, giving his life to not just wash our feet, but to wash us clean of all sin, of all unrighteousness, of all impurity. What I've done for you, do to others, he would say to us. And then you take those four, you take four words. I live to serve. And you take them throughout your day. If you have to write them on a three-by-five card, stick them in your pocket, put them on your your screensaver so that every time you look at your phone, that's the first thing you see. Whatever you've got to do to make that burn that thought into your mind, I live to serve. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing can be an act of service to God by serving others in some way. There has to be a way. There is a way, and I have to look for it. Last Sunday, David said that life is comprised of the choices we make, that every choice is a choice to do something. It's a choice to either serve God or to serve others. It's a choice to serve self or to serve something or someone else that's apart from God. And we ha- it has to be deliberate. Because if we come to a choice, we all do it. We come to choices and we just, you know, whatever, whatever course seems right in our own minds, we go. We don't pause and we don't think about it. The Bible says we ought to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There is a way to pause, to look at our choices. Now, you, don't, you may not do it with every single choice that you make, but you ought to do it with more than you probably are. All of us ought to. And we ought to ask ourselves, this choice, that am I making a choice because it is the best way to serve God in this circumstance? What can I do right now that proves that I believe God, that I love God? How can I serve God in this circumstance? And that, and that will probably involve serving someone else. But how do you know what is the best way to serve God? Well, The second point, learn to serve. Live to serve, learn to serve. Serving God by serving others in the name of Christ is not natural because the natural man will usually choose to serve whom first? Self. That's just natural. Doesn't make you any more wicked than anyone else. Well, you might be, but not, 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 not because of that. The reality is, is that's just natural. We we will naturally default to a more selfish choice than not. 
God gave us his word so that we would know him and we'd know how to worship him and we'd know how to serve him. If we are created to glorify him, worship him, and serve him, it makes good sense that he would tell us how to do that, right? I mean, if that's what we're here for, he would explain it to us. Psalm 119, 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall keep it to the end. God wants us to know, and here the psalmist was asking God to make it clear to him what it was that he could, in what way he could do those things. We also have the Spirit of God, John 16, 13. When he, the Holy the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Everything you need to know about God is found in his word, and it is empowered and enlivened and, and quickened through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So as we pour it in, the Holy Spirit brings it to life and allows us to be able to apply the realities of these things to our choices. And hopefully we're making choices to serve God. God also gave us the church. He gave us the body of Christ so that we can learn how to do this. When we gather together, this is so important. I think, I think we get, you know, we all do this. We all get into rhythms and patterns. We get into these habits, these, these rituals, and sometimes they can be spiritual things that we allow to become just ritual. Showing up at church on Sunday. Why are you going to church on Sunday? Um, because that's what I do on Sunday mornings. I, you know, I can always watch golf later on, so I go to church on Sunday morning. Why should we be coming to church? What purpose is gathering together as the body of Christ. What purpose does it serve? Well, it goes back to why we were created. We were created to worship God. We're created to glorify God. We're created to serve God. What better place to do that than at church with the body of Christ? So we gather together. We should gather together to glorify God. I, when, I, when we gather together, God should be glorified. When we gather together, there should be, there should be expressions of worship. Not just, not just David and the worship team, but just throughout our conversations, there ought to be an expression of worship. God, you are worthy. You are this. You are that. Look what God did. Look what God is doing these sorts of things are how, one of the reasons why we do, we gather together because I want to know what's going on in Larry's life. I want to see how God is using Larry and touching Larry and ministering to Chad and, and all of our relationships and all of our stuff in life. All this stuff is used to glorify God, to worship him. And it opens up opportunities to serve him. We learn how to serve God. How do you learn how to serve God? By serving him. You watch other people serving God, and then you serve him. It's as simple as that. You know, people say, well, I, I don't know what I should do. Okay, then just do anything. You know, dust off the chairs. You know, ask David if he needs some help with something. The other David, not this David. <laughs> this David doesn't need any help. He's, he's perfectly fine. He's going on vacation. How do we do all these things? Well, you know, we gather together. You know, I, I think one of, the, one of the ways, again, I'm preaching to the choir here, so you know, I'm preaching to anybody who's listening. You know, we, when we gather together, you know, showing up right before worship starts or after worship starts, you, you miss so much. 
There's so much that goes on before church service starts. There's this, this gathering together and this knitting together of our hearts and, and connecting to one another and connecting to the body of Christ and listening to what God is doing in others and, and finding opportunities to minister one to another and to serve one another that takes place outside of the hour and a half or two hours, depending on how I'm doing, you know, of the worship service. And we come and when, we, when that music starts... When the prayer starts, are we, are we stilling our heart and mind? When somebody's praying, are we, are, we, are we connecting ourselves to that person? And we saying, agreeing with them in their prayers? Or are we just listening? We should agree with them. We should be, we should be connecting ourselves. We should be combining our spirit with their spirit and lifting their prayer with them up to God. When the worship starts, can we imagine ourselves standing in the presence of God and singing these words to him personally? We should, because ultimately that's what we're, what we're attempting to do. We're attempting to get ourselves right into the very throne room of God and lift up these words to him. Doesn't matter what those words mean to anyone else, the only, the only thing that really matters is what those words mean to God. And when they mean something to God, you know what else happens? They mean something to you. They change you. When you're lifting those words up to God, something, the way that God works is he does something in you when you do that. And then when the, when the message comes, when the word comes, are you, are, you, are you open to what God wants to say to you, what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you in that moment? Or are you thinking, oh, you know, you know, my wife, man, I hope she's listening. She really needs to hear this. Oh, man, I got I to gotta send this to my cousin Buford. Anybody have a cousin Buford? Okay. Larry might. Of anybody, it might be Larry. That's probably kind of a not nice thing to say. Sorry. <laughs> are, are, you, are you willing to receive? You know, I, I, and I'm guessing there'll be nobody in this group, but, um, you know, I, you know I'm not, I didn't teach last Sunday. I'm not teaching this Sunday. And, you know, I've had, we don't usually announce that. You know why? People won't show up. Like, well, if it's not Pastor Rick, then why bother? Like, what? That's not right. Every, well, they love David, so they'll show up for David. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to lift up the young man, okay? Come on. Oh, you know, it, it, we should be willing to receive from any of God's messengers. You know, when, when um, you know, Randy stands up to give the announcements, there's always a message, always. He's always sharing some, some bit of truth. He, he opens up with a, with a word of scripture. I mean, our hearts ought to be wide open to that. There's a reason why God put that scripture on his heart that morning. 
And if that, if that was so important that it put it on Randy's heart, then it ought to be important to our hearts as well. And then he shares things, and he shares little, little snippets of, of truth within, within the announcements. And then when the offering comes, same thing. Someone standing up here and giving some word of truth. We ought to be listening intently for what God would say to us about that. And you know what? I don't, I don't care if you sat there for a thousand offering messages. Could God speak to you today with a different word than he did 10, 15, 20 years ago? Uh, yeah. You know why? Because he's pretty amazing. We, we, when we come to church, it ought to be intentional. I come to glorify God. I come to worship God. I come to serve God. Doesn't matter what you're doing, but there ought to be that intent that I'm here to glorify, worship, and serve. Now, you may not have a place of service. Again, I'm looking around here. We all do. But how do we learn to serve? We learn by doing. We learn by serving, finding something that we can do for God. Now, it doesn't have to be in the church. I just think the church is like a very convenient place to learn how to serve God because we have so many opportunities for it. But you also learn it through fellowship with other believers. That's why we, we, I encourage you, get here early, stay late, spend some time connecting to the body because there's something God wants you to have, wants you to get. And those of you that have done that know that what I'm speaking is truth. Live to serve, learn to serve. Third and finally, Look to serve. Look to serve. You ever noticed that life has a way of distracting us? Anybody? Life has a way of, of just drawing our attention. Squirrel, you know, shiny thing, you know, golf, you know, well, I don't know what it is, tennis, or something. You know, there's something. You know, something comes up and it distracts us. I mean, you can be driving along, right? All of us, probably something. For me, it's a it's a bright, shiny Corvette. If, if there's one on the road around me, I see it. I mean, there could, be, there could be Maseratis and all sorts of other cars, but a Corvette drives by, boop, oh, look, there's a Corvette. I just like them. They distract me. You know, sometimes the mundane things of life can lull us into a, a kind of autopilot. We, we develop rhythms and patterns. Often when I'm, when I'm ministering to guys primarily, that's one of the things I'm looking for. What are the patterns or rhythms of their life that are really hindering their walk with Christ? Because there's probably something they're doing that in their minds is no big deal. But in reality, it is, it is not allowing them to connect with God the way he wants them to connect. And so I challenge them to change Change your, change your rhythms. Change your patterns. Do something different. Because that's the only way to find some of those things. It will take discipline and faith. And 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You have to think about your life. Think about the things you're doing. Think about your thoughts. You think about them. You got to grab them and make them be obedient to Christ. 
I highly encourage you change routines on a regular basis. If you feel yourself just kind of cruising, change a routine of some sort, any kind. Any routine you're doing, change it. Do something different and see what shakes out of it. Even small changes can give you an opportunity, allow you to see an opportunity to serve God. There's little things around the house that, you know, maybe somebody else, your, your spouse or somebody in the house does, maybe you ought to try doing it. See what happens. And, and here's the key. No one has to see or know that you're doing it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 3 through 4, when you do a charitable deed, meaning just do something that is right and good, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward, will himself reward you openly. Listen, if you're doing what you're doing so that other people will say how wonderful you are or thank you for it or appreciate you for it, that's not serving. That's working. That's doing work so that you can get a paycheck, a reward, a benefit of some sort. We got to do what we do for no other reason than it's the right thing to do. And it shouldn't matter if no one ever notices. That's Christ-like service. Not easy. And one last thought as I wrap it up in the next 20 minutes. Your attitude while serving is important. We gotta watch out for wrong attitudes when we're serving others. Serving God while you are angry or frustrated or resentful, or anything like that is not serving God like Christ, right? Does that make sense? We don't see God, we don't see Christ serving with anger and frustration and and any bitterness or any of those things. We need to do it humbly. As God the Son knelt at the feet of the disciples and took their dirty feet into his hands, He wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of God. He was serving God, knowing that there was something that these men needed. And as you go through your life, guys, there are people around you that need something from God. And he's put you into their orbit so that they can get it. But to do it, we must be like Christ, more and more like him seeing him doing these humble acts of service and recognizing if God in the flesh could do this thing, then his disciples ought to do it too. Pathfinders, men of God are servant leaders and servant leaders live to serve God by serving others. And that's, that's, the, that's the attitude we take. When I serve I'm not serving them. I'm serving God. But the way I serve God is by serving them. That, that ha- that, that, that's why I do it. I don't do it for them. I'm doing it for God. And so when I stand up here and preach, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for God. I'm doing it because God's called me to glorify him and to worship him. And I worship him through the word of God. And I do it by allowing the spirit of God to minister through me to the people of God. Now, do I hope that you get something out of it? Uh, Yeah, kind of a big deal for me. That's not why I do it. 
servant leaders. Serve God by serving others, and we do it. You know, we serve anyone that God puts in our path, whether they deserve it or not, whether they'll appreciate it or not, whether they'll take advantage of it or not. Doesn't matter. If God puts them in our path and he says to us, wash their feet, what should we do? Wash their feet. And we do it like Christ would do it. They're always seeking to learn how to serve others better. The pathfinder is always desiring to grow deeper into this thing. I want to serve God by serving others more like Christ every day. And I, I have to learn how to do that. And I learn how to do that by doing that and by, by knowing God better through his word, by allowing the spirit of God to minister to me day by day. I don't want to ever be comfortable with my level of service. I don't ever want to be, get to the point where I say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stinking good at serving. I don't ever want to be like that. I always want to be, I want, always want to be a little bit more like Jesus. And Jesus served humbly. And they have their eyes open. A pathfinder is always looking for a place to serve. They're looking at every circumstance, every situation, every encounter, every choice as an opportunity to serve. And they're looking and seeing, is this an opportunity for me to serve God by serving others? Now, God may say no. You know that, right? God always say no, 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 stay away from that one. You'll never be more like Christ than when you set your life aside and kneel in humility to serve someone that you don't have to. You want to be like Christ? Humble yourself and serve. That's the kind of man that those that you want to lead or that God has called you to lead, that's the kind of man they want to follow. A man who will... be a servant leader who will serve them, serve God by serving them, by leading them. And that's the kind of man who can change the world. Guys, we, we need to change the world around us. We can't change the whole world, but you can chase, change that little bit that t- your life touches. And that's what God calls us to. Live to serve, learn to serve, look to serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, and love. Lord, it's, it's my desire, Lord. I, I'm, I'm going to confess right now that I desire more than anything else to be this kind of man, this servant leader who has no other desire than to serve you, God. And Lord, in whatever way you choose for me to do that, and I, and I know, Lord God, that I don't, I don't do this as well as I ought. And that I, I'm not there yet. And so I humble, my, I humble my heart before you, God. And I confess that I, I need to be better at this. And I, I suspect that I'm not the only one. And Lord God, we, your word tells us, Lord God, that, that there is no condemnation. So Lord, as we, as we are in Christ, we recognize there's, there's no re- reason to condemn ourselves if we are not where we think we ought to be or where we are. That, that, Lord, we confess that we are not where we ought to be, and we start right where we are to become more like we ought to be. And so I lift up these men, and if any of them are recognized, then maybe they're not, they're not 
serving you, by serving others, whether it be um, their families, their marriage, their their community, their church, their in their workplace, and whatever uh, circle, whatever thing that you've called them to, that maybe they aren't the humble servant leader that they ought to be, that they'd confess that to you and make a commitment to do better, to do better starting today. That we, as Paul said, we, we forget what is behind and press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, for all of us, Lord, that we would be better servant leaders so that the world around us can see the, the beauty and the majesty and the power and the love of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you for these men. I pray your anointing and blessing over them. And Lord, for anyone that's watching, will watch this in the future. I pray, Lord, for your blessing on them as well. Whether they be male or female, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to be all that you created them to be and to do it in the name of Jesus Christ and for your glory, God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a blessed day. Thank you for being a part of Pathfinders. This series is for men who want to make a difference in the world around them. We want to partner with you on this exciting journey. Go to calvaryfv.com slash pathfinders and click on the engage button. We'll periodically send you encouragements and exhortations to be the pathfinder God created you to be. Every man needs help periodically, so please let us know if there is any way that we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 62488. If this material has blessed you in some way, you find it useful in any way, please leave a comment or review and subscribe to it, this channel, so that you don't miss any other things that we publish and send it to someone else that might need to hear it or see it. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ, to find their way. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 62488. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Jesus.